0: Listening to audio from Community Bible Church. If you would like to find out more information about us, please visit us at CBCSavannah.com. And just a reminder for many of us: uh, next week we are moving to three services. We're excited about this. Um, And so if you come at 1040, you'll actually be on time, some of you next week, because we don't start till 11. So if if you're usually late, just pretend that we're in two services still and you will be on time. It'll be a miracle. Um, If you are planning on coming to the, anyone in here planning on being an eight o'clock person? I know there's probably, oh, there we go. we got a few of you. Yeah, there we go. Amen. Yeah, Gardner, you don't count. Okay. Yes, I know you. Um, if you're coming to eight and you're really godly, like the other eight o'clock people, um, we're going to ask you this, that you would park 68th street and North. Okay, and that's north, or uh, that side. So 68th Street's right out here that you would park because we wanna leave the, the lot open for the 9 o'clock, 9.30 service so that we, it's already hard enough to get in and out of this neighborhood, we know this. And so it'll just be a little easier for the 9.30 people to get in if everyone's down there. And then the 9.30 people fill that side and the 8 o'clock people if, after they leave, after serving, because you're gonna attend one and serve one because that's what good members do. And then after you leave, after serving, then the 11 o'clock people come in and the 11 o'clock people are the pagans. We know this. So, so they come in and, no, just... But so we just wanna try to make it as simple as possible, right? So eight o'clock people park north of 68th Street, should be plenty of spots, praying that we get 200, 300 folks. And the goal, remember, it's not so that you are like, I can spread out now, I just don't like sitting next to people, right? That's not the goal. The goal is not to make you more comfortable. The goal is to open up seats so more people can come hear the gospel. And that is our job. Uh, We are at a place where we're just down a lot of room to grow in our services. And so uh, we're excited to... um, be able to invite folks. Bring your friends next week. Uh, although we're talking about church discipline next week in Matthew 18. So maybe bring your friends in two weeks. Uh, but bring your friends. Invite your neighbors. Say, hey, let's go out to eat afterwards and, and come, on, come with a church. You have a church to come with? Come on. That's, that's the point. Invite folks to come hear uh, God's word. And, and not because I'm great, but because he is and we'll trust that his spirit will move through his word. All right, so that's it. We're excited. Be praying for that. Uh, be praying for opportunities and God will give them. All right, go ahead and turn to Matthew 18. Matthew chapter 18, if you're a guest of ours, we are working our way through the gospel of Matthew. Uh, we're gonna finish, Lord willing, right around Easter. Uh, so praise God. Um, we're gonna have resurrection on, uh, resurrection Sunday. We're excited uh, about that. But we are working our way through, talking about how Jesus has all authority. That's where we've been looking. So Matthew 18. We love, I think, uh, as people to talk about greatness, right? Right? We're attracted to things that are great. We even debate, right? What's the greatest? Who's the greatest? You hear it all the time. Who's the greatest, MJ or LeBron? It's not even a competition, y'all, just so you know. And if you're thinking LeBron, you are wrong. MJ is far more significantly great than LeBron ever is, right? LeBron's great, but he's not the greatest. Who's the greatest quarterback? Tom Brady. Soul of, the Soul of the Devil, yes. Still the greatest quarterback, yes. And I'm, I'm an anti-Tom Brady guy, but he is the greatest. Greatest coach, Nick Saban. Same thing, Soul of, Soul of the Devil, but he's still the greatest coach. It's just the way it is. Greatest rock band ever, the Beatles. It's not debated, okay? But we love greatness. We're attracted to greatness. We love it. And we, honestly, if we're honest, we wanna be great right? Ever since you were a little kid on the playground, who you want to be the greatest, greatest at kickball, greatest at dodgeball, greatest artist, greatest musician. Some of you are you're, you're older, you're, you're the other side. I want to be the greatest grandparent. I want to beat that other set of grandparents. I want to be the greatest. <laughs> we want our kids to be great, right? We want them to be the best. We want them to be this because we love greatness. And there's nothing wrong with being great at something, there's nothing wrong with doing things with excellence. I would say that our culture has lost that a little bit. We have satisfied, or we're settled and satisfied with mediocre, right? That's why we give trophies out if you show up. Oh, you got a C, you get a prize. No, you get a prize for a C, you get a prize for an A, right? Because we settle, but the idea of being great or good or doing things with excellence, it's biblical. Do all things for the glory of God. If a C is the greatest you can do, great. But we need to, we need to pursue greatness and excellence in what we do. But here's what we have to ask as Christians, ready? If you are a follower of Jesus, we have to ask this question, what does it mean to be great? What does true greatness mean? In the eyes of the one who is truly great, because there is only one that is great and that is God. So when God looks down from heaven and he says, that is great, what does that look like? Because that's the question we got to ask. What does true greatness in the eyes of the great one look like? And what we're going to find is just like in so many other things, greatness here and greatness in the kingdom are exact opposites, right? Because for us, it comes down to one thing. Greatness means performance. Who is the greatest whatever? Shooter, Pistol Pete Maravich, no question. All right, what is the greatest movie? the Godfather, no question. Uh, It's all about performance. Who's the greatest salesman? Who's the greatest order? Who's the greatest businessman? The guy who sells the most, the guy who makes the most. That's what we do, right? It's all based on performance. And then we have a pecking order, the greatest, the second greatest. And we have this order of greatness, all based on performance. And what we're gonna see in the kingdom in the eyes of the great one, performance has nothing to do with greatness. But everyone can be great, And so what we're gonna see in Matthew 18, 1 through 14 is what does Jesus say is greatness? What does God say greatness looks like? We need to know as followers of Jesus. So Matthew 18, let me read the text in its entirety and we will come back and unpack it and look at three things that Jesus is gonna say uh, is where true greatness lies. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned into the depths of the sea. Woe to the world for temptations to sin, for it is necessary that temptations come, but woe to the one by whom the temptation comes. And if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet or to be thrown into the eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than two two eyes to be thrown into hell of fire. So he starts by saying, at that time. And again, at that time, it's a temporal marker. What's been going on? What have we seen in the last couple of weeks? Saw Jesus transfigured before three of the disciples where his glory, his heavenly glory is revealed. Saw that. Last week, Clint preached and we saw that, that Jesus cast out a demon that the disciples couldn't do nothing about. They're like, we don't know what to do. It's nothing's working. We're trying the plan. And Jesus comes and he does it does something they couldn't do. Then he does this great miracle with the fish where he says, Peter, go down, cast a lot in and, and God in his sovereignty has the right fish eat the right coin. And then Peter, at the right time, throw the right lure to catch that fish so they can pay your taxes. Amazing things, right? Amazing things. And the disciples in light of all that have the gall to go to Jesus and say, yeah, who's the greatest? And what you find out from the other gospel accounts is they've been fighting about it. They've been, they've been talking about it and they're kind of walking and Jesus is out front. And it's like they're in the back of the, the station wagon. A station wagon for you young folks was this car that you could put 20 <laughs> little league baseball players in legally back in the day. And, and so the disciples are in, in they're, they're walking and they're talking, yeah, I'm, I'm greater than you, I'm greater than you. And Jesus at one point says, what are y'all talking about back there? And they all like, they hush, they get quiet. And they're embarrassed, it says. And then they finally, at some point say, Jesus, who's the greatest? Who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Right? Amazing. If we assume the best of them, which we can't because we know they're wrong. We assume the best, they're asking the question, God, Jesus, what does it mean to be great in your eyes? They're not asking that. What they're asking is, Jesus, who's your favorite? Who's your favorite kid? Who's your favorite disciple? Who's the best? Tell them why I'm better than you. Tell them why I'm better than him right? And so Jesus, in very typical fashion, doesn't answer, but he's going to teach him an object lesson. So he calls to him a child, and it's the word "paidon" in the Greek. It means a young child. You're talking, it's, in Luke's gospel, it says he picked him up in his arms. So it's a little guy, two, three years old, right? And you can just picture this. So here's the disciples. They're fighting. They're embarrassed. Jesus says, hey, buddy, what's your name? I'm Jacob. Hey, Jacob, come here. Stand right here. You see these knuckleheads out here? Not y'all, the disciples. See these, these 12 knuckleheads? I just want you to stand here, okay? Can you do that, Jacob? I can do that. And then Jesus, with this little boy in front of him, says, truly I say to you, that's his way of saying, listen up, boys. Unless you turn and become like Jacob here, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like Jacob here is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. You wanna know what greatness looks like, boys? You have to humble yourself. Not have others humble you. You humble yourself, and you will be great. So, what's the first thing that look is greatness in God's eyes? It's when you humble yourself. It's when you humble yourself. You say, "Well, what does that look like?" Well, Jesus tells us. Again, He said in the beginning, "Truly, I say to you, unless you turn," that's Jesus's way of saying, "Unless you repent, right? You turn from your sin." which takes by nature, humility. For you to admit that you were wrong, that you were broken, it takes humility. All, all men understand how hard it is to admit that we are wrong. So we've, if you've ever been driving, kids in the station wagon, and you got the little GPS thing out, you think you know where you're going and you realize, I just missed a turn. You have a moment there where you can admit it or you can keep driving which most men are just, I'm gonna keep driving and hope that it reroutes me. And we will drive all the way to Kansas because we don't wanna admit to her and to them that we missed a turn because what's gonna happen? I I think I missed a turn. Yes, you did. Because she knew, she just didn't tell you. What is it so hard to admit that we make a mistake? And Jesus's point, is if you wanna be great, you have to admit that you're not, that you are, that you have missed the mark, that you do fail, that you do not have it all together. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's the only way you get into the kingdom. You can't even get into the kingdom unless you own the fact that you have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But not just is that how you get in, that's how you live in the kingdom. So he gets a child. Why does he bring a little child up? What is it he's trying to teach? What is it about a kid that's humble? A, a child is completely needy. Some of you get, you have babies, you get this. Some of you have two-year-olds, They're like, mom, I need a bowl, right? You gotta you go, oh, I gotta get off the couch and get a bowl. Mom, I need cereal. Mom, I need this. Dad, I need money, because I gotta buy this. There's a neediness to children and there's a dependence that they're not even thinking about it. They just, it's just natural that they say, I need you, mom. I need you, dad. And that's, that's the point here, right? The disciples are arguing about how they, oh, I walked on water. You didn't walk on water. Yeah, Peter, you walked on water for like three steps and then you were in the water, right? And they're talking about all this greatness. And Jesus says, boys, it's not about your performance, it's about how you can't perform. It's, a, it's an attitude that wakes up and says, God, I need you. And this is hard for some of you because, like, well, I got a PhD and I, I started my own business and I was an athlete in college. You know? Yeah, why were you an athlete in college? Because God gave you the ability to do so and parents who drove you 14 hours every weekend to play that sport and finances so you could do that that's the only reason you're able to do that well well, I started my own business yeah why because God gave you the mind and the intellect and the ability to do that craft so that you were able to start that business well I went to school and I did this and I did this. yeah everything you have has been given to you the breath in your lungs is a gift you are needy and so the attitude of the great ones is not, well, yeah, look what we did. Look how great we are. No, it's God, I need you. When, when I pray before a sermon, I'm not just praying, God, I need you because, because I'm just, I want you guys to be impressed and think how humble. No, I really am sinful. And I really am broken. I really don't know what I'm supposed to do sometimes. And I need God, the Holy Spirit, to show up in this room. Because if it's just me, you are wasting your time. There's gotta be neediness. God, I need your grace because I did it again. God, I need your patience because I'm about to kill somebody. God, I need your provision because I got nothing. God, I need your compassion because I'm, I'm broken. God, I need your strength because I'm tired. And that in the world's eyes looks like weak sauce. Doesn't it? It looks like weak sauce, but in Jesus' eyes, he says, that's great. Neediness, repentance, that's great, right? He says another, another way we can be humble, verse five. Whoever receives one such child of my name receives me. The idea of receiving is, is welcoming, is caring for, it's hospitality, it's just moving towards that person. See, it's easy for us to receive impressive people Right? If I say, hey, I got a call from uh, University of Georgia. Stenson Bennett is coming to town. And he wasn't impressive yesterday, but he's been pretty impressive. I'll give him his props. Yesterday he stunk, but that's all right. He played Kent State. It's not a real big deal. But if I said, hey, okay, church, we got Stenson Bennett coming in. Can somebody take him and play golf on Tuesday? All the men, I'll do it. I'll do it. Can somebody host him uh, on Wednesday night and take him out to eat and, and let him borrow a car? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why? Because you want to get to know him and you want to put him in your contacts and say, maybe one day you can come sell insurance with me and we can make a lot of money together. That's why. <laughs> because he can offer you something. Right? So it's that's no big deal to receive him. But what about somebody, a humble, a humble child, or somebody that's not impressive? Right? It's not, oh, I volunteer. I have a bunch of refugees that need to need some place to stay next week. Crickets, <laughs> right? And what Jesus says, greatness is receiving this one. Why? Because in doing so, you're receiving me. See, if I said, Jesus is, Jesus is coming to CBC next Sunday. Can somebody stay? Can he stay at someone's beach house? Can, can he go to somebody's community group? Can he do, same idea. Well, yeah, yeah, of course. It's the Lord Jesus. Of course we'd host him. He says, I'm already here. You know where I'm at? Everyone look to the left right now. You see that building right there? There's 150 kids. He says, I'm over there. That little two-year-old that's crying and needs a diaper change, I'm right there, right? I'm, I'm all over a city with the refugees that are in the city uh, I, with the kids that need to be adopted and fostered. The single mom in our church that is struggling to feed her kid and her car just died and she can't pay for the new fill in the blank. The widow who goes to dinner every night making herself a dinner alone. And we have some. And Jesus says, that's where I'm at. See, this is why y'all, Again, not to to just highlight the kids, but this is why children's ministry is so significant to us. This is why our neighborhood ministry is significant. It's not the only thing we do, but it's significant because Jesus is saying, when you do that, you do it to me. And that's true greatness. That's true greatness. And so I think a question I I asked our staff this week and I wanna ask us is this, are you willing to be obscure? Obscure. I mean, I know in our Holy Spirit voice, we're like, yes, of course, I'll do whatever God tells me to do. Would you really? If you were called to obey in this area and no one would ever know except for God, if you were called to serve, to give, and you didn't get a name on a plaque that says to the glory of God and John Smith's family, if you didn't get an attaboy, if the, one of the pastors didn't come into your house and thank you, if you didn't get a thank you note, would you still do it? Jesus says, that's Humility. That's greatness, right? Not impressing people, right? Not, again, Jesus tells the disciples at one point when they're were, they were like so excited because they got to cast out demons and heal people and they're rejoicing. And he says, don't rejoice in what you do, what you can do. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. That's obscure, but that's greatness, right? Can you be humble enough to be obscure and to be a nobody? Nobody here. I think another way, reason Jesus has a child is because children simply trust. When you pick up a child, they're not worried that you're gonna drop them. To, don't drop me. Make sure you hold me like this. Make sure, you know, you know. They're, they're not doing that. They're just trusting you. There's a simple trust. And that's something that there's a humility there that some of us lack because we don't, oh, I don't know about that. I don't wanna bury that. I don't wanna do that. We always got. I got questions. I got questions. I don't know about this. I don't know about this about the Bible. I mean, how do they get all those animals on the ark? I mean, how do they feed all the animals? You don't need to know how many animals are on the ark. Unless you're feeding the animals, you don't need to know. You don't need to grasp the, 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 the argument about God's sovereignty versus human. You don't need to understand it all. What you need to do is to take up your cross, deny yourself and follow him. And some of us just in humility need to take God at his word and trust him. Even when it doesn't make sense, that's, that's greatness. Are you humble enough to repent, to own your brokenness? Are you humble enough? to treat people who look different, who act different, who believe maybe different in certain things? Are you willing to welcome them, to care for them? Are you humble enough to simply obey when Jesus says do something, right? What does greatness look like? That's what it looks like. That's the first thing. Here's the second. Greatness means we help, not hurt. What do I mean by that? Look what Jesus says again. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, but... Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. So he changes the language here a little bit. He says, he's been talking about kids. When he's talking about little ones, most commentaries agree. He's moved not just about kids. Now we're talking about disciples, anybody who follows, anybody who believes. And the word little is in contrast to the word great. You know, they wanna be great. He said, all these little ones who are just trusting me, who are in humility finding me. He says, uh, if you cause one of my little ones, my followers to sin, to skandalizo is the Greek word. We get our English word scandal, to stumble, to fall. He said, it would be better for him to have a millstone fastened around his neck and drown in the sea. This is like Godfather stuff right here, folks. This is Luca Brasi sleeps with fishes right here. This is what this is. This is dramatic. If you don't know what a millstone is, here's a millstone. This is a, uh, the big one, you know, they put the the, the grain on there and they crush it. A donkey would just kind of walk in circles and pull that big. That's a millstone. I don't care if you're a Navy SEAL, you're going down if that's tied around your neck. right? But his point is, it's serious. It's serious. Sin is serious. And he says, woe to the world for temptations to sin. It's necessary that temptations come, right? It's, it's normal. We live in a fallen world. But he says, woe to the one by whom the temptation comes. Here's, here's his point. It's hard enough to follow Jesus in the world. It's challenging enough when you go back to your SCAD campus. It's challenging enough when you go over to the hospital. It's challenging enough when you're teaching those elementary kids or you're on the baseball team. It's hard enough to follow Jesus in the world. We should not, as the followers of Christ, make it harder for other Christians. We should be helping fight sin, not leading people into sin, not causing other Christians to disobey God, right? That's the point. You should be helpful, not hurting. You should not be the one who's tempting Christians to disobey God. And how do we do that? All sorts of ways. One way right out of the context of the passage is that you're not welcoming. When someone comes in here, you don't know where people have been this week. You don't know if this is their first time, their 50th time, you don't know what kind of week. But when you just stand there and you're like, oh great, they're gonna sit next to us. Like you're on the airplane, you're like, you're hoping people walk by and you know, oh, don't come in. When, you, when someone's about to sit next to you, you roll your eyes. Yes, I'll move, I'll move down one. When that's the way you treat someone, you can cause them to not wanna come back. When you see someone during a greeting time, it's just standing over there with their head down and you're like, I'm not gonna go talk to them, Right? that you can call, you don't know where they've been. This place is intimidating. There's like ants, like an anthill on the outside. There's just all these people and there's coffee over there and there's this tent over there and all these people are running late and everything else and you don't know where to, you, if we're unwelcoming to someone, you don't know if they'll never step foot in a church again and cause them to, to fall. Or you can, here's, here's some other common ways. You can gossip. Hey, did you hear? Hey, did you know? What are you doing? You're drawing them into your sin you're inviting them to sin with you, aren't you? When you slander other people, you're causing them to see other people in a bad light. When you're constantly just critical of everybody and everything, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong, they don't do this. All you're doing is tearing down, you're not building up, you're discouraging. When you're constantly reminding the person at the office or your spouse or whoever, how they failed, how they let you down, how they don't meet up, how does that encourage them? It doesn't, it destroys them. When we as parents or as roommates, when it's do as I say, not as I do, you shouldn't lie. When the boss calls, hey, did you get that project emailed out? Yeah, I did it five minutes ago. And your kid sees it. You tell your kids, you should not drink. You should not this. But you come home on Friday night from the club and you're tipsy and they can see it. Right? And you're causing them to stumble. Right? That's that's what he's talking about. Right? Or you abuse your freedoms as a Christian. You feel free to do this, this person doesn't feel free. oh, come on, it's no big deal. and you bring them into that, and it may not be sin for you, but it is for them because that's something that they can't handle. You've caused your brother to sin. Purity. Those of you who are single, those of you were dating. if one of you is pushing the boundaries, pushing the other person beyond what they're comfortable, you are causing them to sin. It's Luca Brazzi. Right? And I would say this is this is in this is the man's responsibility to guard the purity of your significant other. For some of you, the way the way you may dress, I know this is a controversial subject. And like, oh, I can wear what I want. If you got it, flaunt it, whatever. Yeah, that, that is the way the world thinks. But that's not thinking of others. And I'm not saying we shouldn't look nice and dress up. That's not what I'm saying. But if we're if we are trying to tempt others in a way that is not appropriate, it is scandalito. You need be cautious, because in the end, we are our sister and brother's keeper, and Jesus says, "Woe to the one who 's the one tempting to sin. Woe, because this is god 's kids. You understand that that's why it's significant he's the father. We're the kids. And as a dad, if I come in the room, my brother, Stephen, when my kids are young, come here, picture this. You got a five-year-old. I walk in the room and my brother, he's giving my five-year-old a, a Bud Light. What am I gonna do? Oh, you should try it, Sam Adams. You know, that's, you know. <laughs> no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna smack him. Dude, you, he's five years old. What are you doing? You're trying to tempt him to sin. That's the, that's the heart of God. He said, don't. We're supposed to help each other fight sin, not not tempt each other to sin. That's his point. And that's why he says, get serious with it. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your eye causes you to sin, he's not literal. it's, It's hyperbole. If you struggle with porn, then you need to get rid of the phone. That's the point. Have you ever had a water leak in your house? Some of you, you know, toilet leak, sink leak, and you can't get it to stop, you turn it off again. What do you have to do? You have to get that tea thing that none of us seem to have. And I always wanna buy it when I don't need it. And then when I need it, I don't have it. You gotta get that tea thing. You gotta go find the water meter outside. If you don't know where the water meter is, then you better find it today, man, because it's gonna happen soon. And you gotta lift that thing and you gotta turn the water source off. That is the only way to stop the water pouring out. And that's what Jesus is saying with the sin. If you can't handle going to the tailgate party because you're gonna end up passed out somewhere, then don't go to the tailgate party. Well, I'm gonna miss out. No, you're not. That's what greatness looks like because you're fleeing from sin. If you have to break up with so-and-so because you guys can't remain pure, then you need to do it. Well, that's gonna be hurtful. Yes, but it's better to break up and live in purity because that's greatness. And on and on and on. If I need to live in a smaller house and drive an older car because I'm prideful and arrogant, and if I need to get rid of my Instagram because I just, oh, I just want, all I can think about is followers, if I, if I gotta get off social media and get off cable news because all I do is debate with people on Facebook, then so do it. Get rid of it. Right? That's the point. Because God takes sin seriously. How seriously? He crushed his own son for our sin. And he expects us to help each other fight. Together, not, not lead astray. That's why community is important. So what we need to be asking is how can I help others? This is what Philippians says. See, to let each of you look not to your own interests. Others, have this mind amongst yourself. Where do we get this mind? Christ. You think it was better for him to leave heaven and come die for sin? No, you look to our interests, right? And so we gotta ask, how can I How can I help that person fight sin? How can I encourage? How can I pray? What words of encouragement? What scripture can I memorize with them? How can I check in with them and keep them accountable and go to their house if need be or go get them out of that circumstance? If you have a roommate or a friend who's running headlong into sin, go after them. Help them fight. See, that's greatness. It doesn't look great in the world's eyes, but Jesus says that, that is greatness. Greatness is humbling yourselves. Greatness is we're helping, not hurting. When you help others defeat sin, y'all, that's great in God's eyes. That's greatness. Then one more thing. Verse 10. See to it that you do not despise one of these little ones. What is he talking about? Well, when you are trying like the disciples to to talk about how great you are, what are you in essence saying? That they're not as great. You're looking down on them. I'm better than you. I'm better than you. He says, "Don't, don't do that to my disciples who were humbly following. For I tell you, here's why, that in heaven, their angels always see the face of my father who is in heaven. What does that mean? i got, I don't know. I'll be honest. <laughs> yeah, I'm not hundred percent sure. Some of you have heard of, of guardian angels. You know, you've heard of guardian angels. This is where we get that idea of guardian angels that each one of you, if you're a Christian, You have an angel assigned to you. You got Bob, you got Jerry, you got Tom, you know, you got Hank, you know, you each have an angel that's assigned to you, right? And he follows you everywhere and, you know, for your whole life, which is kind of scary because that means Bob the angel sees everything you do, right? And is that possible? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's a possible understanding. That's, I'm not gonna, that's not a slam dunk, but that's a possibility, right? What we do know about angels is this that they are ministering spirits that God sends to serve and help us in this battle. They fight in the spiritual realm, but they also often bring messages in the Old Old Testament especially. Uh, They've probably on more than one occasion rescued some of y'all's lives. If you're like me and you're 18, you were really, really dumb. I probably was rescued by an angel at least one time, I'm sure right? Because they serve. We know that angels are here right now. As we gather in this room, there are angels with us. They see you nodding off in the back. Yes, they see you. The one of you that's checking how long till game time, they see you on your ESPN app. They see that too. It says that they marvel at what we experience because they are not redeemed. They don't understand what it is to have the spirit of the living God living inside of them. They don't get that Right, So they observe and watch. Whatever, whatever Jesus means here, it's meant to be carry heaviness and weight. They, they see my, their angel who's, who gets to see my father in heaven. He's in the presence of my father. So whatever it is, it's supposed to carry weight. If it's your guardian angel or just the angels have access to father that are, that are here serving. And he's, he's trying to get them to see. This is big. So don't look down on them. And then he tells the parable, a parable that many of us have, have seen, a parable that's found in the Gospel of Luke. In the Gospel of Luke, there's a different point to the parable. It's the same parable, different point. In the Gospel of Luke, Jesus is talking to Pharisees who are mad at Jesus for hanging out with sinners. And he's trying to teach them, how does the father feel about sinners? And Matthew's Gospel in this, he's not talking about how does God feel about sinners per se, but more so, how does God respond to his sheep when they go off and wander? Right, that's, that's the heart of what he's saying here. So let me read it. He says, what do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the 99 on the mountains and go in search of the the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the 99 that never went astray. So it is not the will of my father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. He says, a man has 99 sheep and one of them, Hank the sheep, wanders off. He thinks he can find his own happiness, his own food, his own whatever, right? So, what, is, what does the man do about Hank? I'll let him go. No, he's not gonna let him go. Why? Because Hank has value to the owner. And so he goes and finds him. And, and whose fault is it that Hank wandered off? It's Hank's fault. It's Hank's fault for leaving. It's Hank's fault for wandering. It's Hank's fault for, for going away from, from the shepherd. Does that matter? not to the father. So he goes and he finds Hank and he rejoices when he finds Hank and he brings him back to the fold. And this is significant because some of you, you're Hank, right? And you've been wandering and there's, there's this perception that I can't, I can't go back to the fold. I mean, I can go back. Maybe I need to do some penance. Maybe I need to do like 50 spiritual burpees. I need to do something first before I go back. I got to earn my way back. And let me tell you, that is a lie that Satan has been selling from the beginning, y'all. What he does is he tempts you to leave and he tempts you to sin and then you go off. And then once you're in your sin, he's the accuser of the brethren. So he starts attacking you. You are slime. You aren't worthy. No one cares. No one loves you, especially God. You need to just stay here. You can't ever go back. That's what he does. And you need to deny that lie and understand that the father is looking for Hank. And when he finds him, he rejoices. He rejoices. And he brings him back. Because greatness is not the fact that you never left. Greatness is in humility to repent, remember? That's where greatness is. Because God is a God of compassion. And this is the last thing of greatness, is that greatness means we have a heart of compassion. Where do I get that? The Father has a heart of compassion. And if the Father is great and the Father has compassion, then we, if we wanna be great, have the same heart. Because let's be honest, we talk about grace and we talk about forgiveness and we talk about these things. But when that wanderer comes back, how do we respond? Where have you been, sir? Ain't seen you in a long time. I know where you've been. Oh, and now you're just gonna jump right back into our community group? Now you're just gonna jump right back into church? Mm-hmm, okay. We say we believe grace, right? But the reality is often we're like, well, I never... Wandered, I was the 99, I've been good, I've been faithful, more faithful than him. And let me remind you from the text that Jesus rejoices more over Hank when he comes back than you being faithful. And the lesson is not, well, good, let's just go wander and make God rejoice then, right? That's not the lesson. The lesson is just driving home the concept of repentance and humility is greatness. That's the lesson right? Because let's be honest, you probably have been Hank at some point. And if you're not, you may very well be soon to th- him who thinks he stand, take heed lest you be Hank before you fall, right? That's the point. It could be you. And when someone is weak and wrestling with their faith or wrestling in some sin that you would never, I would I can't even believe that. That's not even attractive. I can't believe they would do that. You got to understand the perception of that person when they're in that minute and you've been there, some of you, when you're, you know that and you don't want to come back and you don't feel welcome. And even if it's not even true, you just feel that way. When you come in and you just cut your head down and you feel like everyone's looking at you and everyone knows that I'm a wretch. We do know that you're a wretch. You know how we know? Because we all are wretches. And we gotta come to that place where we recognize this is supposed to be a hospital for sinners. I know we say that, but you, that means you, Mr. 99, gotta get over yourself. And when that wanderer comes back, you not, you're not making them do their 50 spiritual burpees before you can come back. We hug them and we love them and we rejoice with them because the sinner has come back to the flock. That is a heart of compassion. That's gonna have to get some of you outside of yourself where this person smells different, looks different, has done things you would never do. But guess what? The same blood of Christ covers his sin and covers your sin. And Jesus says, I rejoice. That is a heart of compassion. That means you don't let your brother, your roommate, your kids just wander off. You beg them, please stop. Go, please come back. Don't don't let your roommate date a knucklehead. If he's a knucklehead, right? Do what you can. Now, you can't stop him, but don't just, well, I can't say anything because then I'll be judging. No, you can say something. That's your brother and he's a moron, right? Don't let let your brother run off into sin if you can stop him. If there's an addiction that's destroying him, go after him, go after her. Love on them, pray for them. Help them fight sin. That's a heart of compassion. That's what the heart of the great one does. And so that's what we do. Who is the greatest? Isn't it interesting that Jesus doesn't answer that question? Who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Like Muhammad Ali, what did he say about himself? I'm the greatest. All right, if you asked MJ tomorrow, who's better? You or LeBron, what's MJ gonna say? Come on, six rings, come on. Defense player of the year, how many times? Come on, I'm the greatest, right? When Jesus is asked who's the greatest, why wouldn't he just say, you're looking at him? Because I would. But what does he say? He says, greatness means humble himself. You know why? Because Jesus humbled himself, being obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus says, the greatest helps, not hurts. You know why? Because he helps he sends his spirit the comforter to be with us to lead us to guide us to convict us of sin righteousness and judgment and he has a heart of compassion right that he takes the punishment of our sin he doesn't have to answer <laughs> he says this is what greatness is and then he models it greatness is not about dunking a basketball like i'd love to be able to dunk a basketball never gonna happen until the kingdom but that's not greatness. Greatness is humbling yourself, helping, not hurting, and having a heart of compassion. And we need to believe it, church. We need to believe it. I May mean, not get press in the world, but the great one sees. And he says, that's great. Let me pray and we'll worship. Father, thank you for modeling and leading us by your word to what greatness is in your son. The sin of man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Lord, help us to believe it. Help us to follow it. Help me uh, that we would pursue what greatness looks like in your eyes. And it may never be seen this side of eternity, and that's okay, because you see. Help us to receive those who are not welcome. Help us to have compassion towards those who don't deserve it like we don't. Help us to walk in humility because you are opposed to the proud, but you give grace to the humble. It's in Christ's name I pray.